Welcome to Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Ginspired, Heather E. Wilson. Hello and welcome to Ginspired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful juniper lace spirit called gin. I'm your host, Heather E. Wilson. And on today's episode, I welcome Bryce Parsons, master distiller of Last Best Brewing and Distilling, located in Calgary, Alberta. Today, we chat about what it means to be a master distiller in Alberta, how he created the gin program for the distillery, all about their products and awards, and of course, a fun gin incident or two. Welcome, Bryce. Hey, Heather, how's it going? Great. And as you know, with all episodes, we're going to start by sharing what we are drinking today. So Bryce, you get to go first. What are you drinking? All right. Well, lately I've been getting into Nuke Negronis actually. And what those are is been spending a lot of time at home. I have a little one now. And so I've been, you know, usually taking my gins, of course, adding Campari and sweet vermouth in the classic one-to-one-to-one ratio. However, always adding a bit of a twist, a little bit of citrus, a little bit of fruit in there. So right now I'm drinking a Negroni made with my Fortunella gin that is infused with lemon peel, raspberry, and black tea. Ooh. And I actually heat that up in the microwave for about three minutes. And then it's a batch cocktail. And then I let it cool down in the refrigerator overnight. And I strain off, you know, what I was infusing with it and then put it in a bottle and slowly work away at it for about a week. Wow. That sounds delicious. Yeah. Oh, great idea. I love infusing gin. Oh, so good. (laughs) Okay. So today I'm having your yuzu citrus gin with lemonade and just a splash of soda because it is the perfectly most refreshing cocktail you could have for a long weekend and this summer. I like it well on so many levels. I love the citrus. I love that you know, I put a little bit of soda to kind of get that sparkle. Yeah, well, I think lemonade is really actually one of the most underrated mixers for gin. People concentrate on tonic so much and soda, but actually lemonade does so well with so many gins that it's actually a go-to reach for me, whether it's just regular lemonade, sparkling it, you know, with a little bit of soda water. But yeah, it's absolutely perfect. It's one of my favorites. Oh, me too. And Fever Tree makes a really great Sicilian lemonade that mixes amazingly with gin. Just saying. (laughs) If you haven't had it. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, let's talk about you first. You know, did you always love gin? Was it in your family? Did you grow up with it? Did I always love gin? No. But however, when I decided to eventually get into gin, which was kind of in my 30s, I didn't have any aversion against it where a lot of people do. However, though, my very first cocktail I ever made incorporated Gordon's gin and very similar to lemonade, but lemon lime Gatorade. 
Oh, Gatorade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was called a teeny G. And so I really liked those at the time, but I kind of moved on. The craft brewing movement, I was growing up in Victoria at the time, and the craft brewing movement was really developing. So my attention ended up going to craft beer mm. and really just going, when you went to the liquor store, you could buy single bottles. So I would be buying six packs of individual beers all the time as I started kind of learning about the craft beer movement. I didn't really get into gin too much until my later 20s and 30s, definitely working in bars and serving gin, but it still wasn't really a go-to. At that time in Alberta, it was, you know, you had a choice, Beefeater, Bombay, Tanqueray, you know, Hendrix just came in the market. Yeah. So that was the big hype brand. But really, you know, there were some others there, but you weren't really serving that much. My eyes were opened eventually when I moved to Scotland and then you know, being exposed to the European market. And that's where I eventually really got into it. I did end up moving over there to do my master's in brewing and distilling. And it was very common, like you'd start off the evening with beer and then you'd finish off the evening with either a whiskey or a gin. And, you know, throughout my time there, I really got into this spirit. And eventually when I had to do my thesis, my whole thesis surrounded around what I was finding in the gin category and that there's so many differences happening all at once and someone needed to record these or at least look at them and and research them. And that's where my thesis was surrounded by gin. So that kind of really established my love for gin is just my intimate knowledge for gin actually was established then. And then the love has continued and continued. So what made you make the decision to like, yeah, I want to be a master distiller. Where did that like come in? You know, it was kind of always the itch that needed to be scratched. From kind of teenage years, I was always interested or appealed to the drinks industry. First, it was bottles. I wouldn't let my parents throw out a liquor bottle. They were empty, you know, but like I wouldn't let them throw them out. Like, you know, it just collect them and collect them and collect them because I was fascinated by the bottle, the branding, the logoing and everything. And I would tell them to go buy certain bottles so they could drink them and then you know, I could have the bottle and you'd go into my bedroom and you'd see like absolute bottles, like every color of every flavor filled up with water. Like they were full, Uh you know, me displaying them proudly because I thought like this was kind of so cool. And then, you know, really it kind of the path, you know, leading to the career really got derailed because there wasn't really anywhere to learn how to do this. You know, this goes back nearly 20 years and well, there's nowhere like in BC, there was no craft distilleries. There was actually no large distilleries in BC. The last large distillery that left was Potter's, I think in the eighties. So Alberta, you know, there was Alberta. I was born in Edmonton and had gone back and forth. I was looking at going to university in Edmonton. And of course there was a couple of distilleries here, but your time in your life, you kind of pick your path. And my path ended up being healthcare. And my previous career before getting into this was in healthcare. I was an ICU nurse in Edmonton. And it was incredibly rewarding. But when I talk about the itch that needs to be scratched, or some people talk about, you know, the concept of a daemon you know, as opposed to a demon, it's a daemon. You know, I just ended up kind of always researching and researching. And while I was going through nursing school, while I was nursing, I was also working in cocktail bars. And I was lucky enough to be working for a guy that would get me really anything I wanted to play with. So that kept feeding, you know, the need for knowledge. And at the time, there were some developments happening over in Europe, some publications like Difference Magazine, you know, the San Francisco World Spirit Competition had started in 2000. 
And I started following those, but let again, there, there was no way to figure out how to get into this industry, learn about it or anything. So, you know, one day I was back living on Vancouver Island and I ended up doing a Google search of, you know, essentially how to make gin, how to make vodka, how to make whiskey. And I think probably about 28 pages in on a Google search, I noticed that, you know, this school out of Scotland was doing a U.S. tour of six cities. And the last city was Portland, mm. you know, and coming up in about two weeks. So I decided to go down and meet the director, listen to what the hell they were doing and if this was legit. And it turned out it was. It was Harriet Watt, the international, was it ICBD, and at Harriet Watt in Edinburgh. And, you know, they're kind of like the Harvard of brewing and distilling schools in the world. And we had a good chat, good couple of beers. And, you know, I said my background, you know, I had all my basic sciences. And so the director at the time, you know, he had mentioned that, well, apply, let me know that you've applied and I'm sure you'll get a response. So I applied and a couple of weeks later, I did. And three months after that, I moved to Scotland and took the opportunity. You know, I was lucky I was in a position to do that. And so I did. That was about 10 years ago. Graduated in 2011 with the sole reasons is to come back to Canada, and especially Alberta, and start developing their craft industry and especially their whiskey and gin industries. Wow. And the rest is history. The rest <laughs> is history being wrote. It's a fun process and rewarding process right now. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about last best brewing and distilling done. So where does that come in the picture? And it's got an interesting name. So tell us about that too. Yeah. So last best, they're part of a larger company called Bear Hill Brewing and Bear Hill, they started out in 2005 as a brew pub company in Jasper. So right in the Rockies by three best friends, classic story, you know, that wanted to make beer. We're influenced a bit by what was happening in BC with craft brewing. And however, at the time, the only way to actually brew beer in small quantities was to do it out of a brew pub. If you didn't have the restaurant associated with it, you had to build like this massive brewery. And there was just no possibility for that in Jasper or in a national park. So they ended up building a brew pub, expanding to Banff about five years later, so 2010, and then kind of continuing to expand. And eventually I was called, I was in Edmonton at the time running a brewery and had kind of got to know the guys quite a bit. And, you know, eventually they had mentioned that they wanted to get into distilling. There was rules at the time that prevented distilling, just like what yeah. had prevented brewing. And those rules were about to change. And so they wanted to get into distilling and knew that I had a background in it and I was keen on it and some experience. So I joined them. They asked me to hit up and run their distilling program. And they're initially going to incorporate it into their brand new brew pub in Calgary which was last best. Some people call them brew distilleries, but yeah, it's a restaurant space, a brewery and a distillery all in one right in the belt line there. So right in central Calgary. Mm -hmm. And so this was all, I think 2015. So yeah, we built that out and started the program there of distilling. Now where the name came from, you know, last best, because the previous names before that were all, you know, geographically associated, you know, Jasper Brewing, Banfab Brewing. Right. What last best came up, where that came from was, you know, back when people were settling in the prairies, it was from an ad campaign that was over in the UK and Europe that was advertising that Western Canada had land that needed to be settled. And it was marketed as the last best West. And so going through the archives, we came across these advertisements and, you know, decided to adopt you know, that identity, that persona of the last best West. And so hence we called it last best. Makes sense then. 
Yeah. <laughs> On face value, you think there's a slight arrogance there, but there actually is a legit story that <laughs> put in there and has been part of our story ever since. Cool. Okay. So you've created a gin program for this distillery that includes multiple products. Let's talk about the products and then maybe you can also expand a little bit on like, what does that actually mean to make a gin program? And like, how does that work? Yeah. So the product, we didn't start out with gin. We've been (laughs) primarily a whiskey producer since day one, Mm. quietly squirreling away as much whiskey as possible. And we have whiskey that's coming up to about eight years old now. We haven't released a single drop yet. So some people think we're crazy, but we're working there. We're doing a lot of good things towards that direction. However, though, what we were finding is, you know, people were coming in and having our beers. They saw this like gorgeous copper and stainless steel still sitting in the corner and wondering like, what the hell is that? And yeah, you're making whiskey. Where is it? Or what product are you making off? And because we're making whiskey, we really had no offering. And people started asking for offering, despite we obviously had all our beers we're making in-house, but we weren't really offering anything despite people could see it. So we started kind of playing around with gin and about 2017, kind of doing, you know, limited edition, limited releases here and there until kind of 2018, I decided to ramp it up a bit and do 52 gins in a year for 2018. That was kind of an extension of my thesis project that I did in Scotland, where I'd shown that the category was really exploding, but Calgary's market was actually a bit behind. So it was an exercise to show Calgary that, you know, gin is a wonderful category that has so much creativity in it. So I did this program called Gin Craze YYC that I invited a whole bunch of different creators, whether it's from the culinary world, the bartending world, you know, charities, anyone really of interest that I would collaborate with and show my gin making process and, you know, how I approach it and how you put these things together and what the possibilities are. And then we would release, you know, every week a new gin and then people would come in and try them. And we had a whole gin tasting menu and so on and so forth with that. So that was fun. However, keeping up that pace is incredibly difficult. Yeah. So I, backed off a little bit. However, though, I created Afterglow Gin, you know, after that in 2019. And, you know, looking for a a gin, that was a collaboration at the time with our sales director and his wife, actually, of creating a gin that had a low juniper content or perception to it, but was still kind of refreshing. So, you know, we added a ton of lemon verbena, fresh Thai basil in there, you know, loaded it up with aromatics, kept kind of the spicy notes out of it. And, you know, and something that was very approachable to the non-gin drinker. So we released that product and immediately, you know, at the time, most of the major awards were done. However, though, the provincial awards were going in the first year that we released it, we ended up winning, you know, the best in class for for gin in in Alberta. So we're super happy with that. So that kind of continued. We had that product with Afterglow. And then eventually 2020 happened and the pandemic, you know, happened and (laughs) kind of put everything to a stop. So because we were so restaurant reliant or heavy or focused, of course, our production was shut down. And after the initial scare of the first wave, you know, kind of coming back and trying to find ways of bringing in revenue, we decided, well, you know, we're making hand sanitizer. Okay, let's do that. But, you know, we also had all these like gins that we were about to do we could easily do that as well you know even if we don't have the restaurant open 
So that's what we did. We kind of took what we had. We had a pallet of bottles in-house. We had some labels. We had some stoppers. We had some ingredients. You know, we, we were able to get in some spirit and that's what we did. So what we decided to do, we kept Afterglow and we added two more gins, Savage Love, what we call our high juniper content gin. Main supplementary botanicals are lavender and white sage. And Fortunella, which would be more of a classic gin with loads of fresh citrus notes, especially mandarins in this case. And we released a series, essentially, or three at a time, showing low, medium, and high juniper contents that all had personalities. And were marketed for people to do easy cocktails at home because drinking was the biggest trend at the time. (laughs) Drinking at home was the biggest trend at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, we put them together on how to make simple cocktails at home using these gins. And we launched them actually between wave one and wave two of the pandemic. That's impressive. Every award they've been entered as one. So we're on a good page right now. Pretty good role. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you have the gins, you have the whiskey and waiting and beer. Is there anything else? Canned products too, don't you? In 2021 to kind of you know, go with the rage of canned cocktails or RTDs or refreshment beverages, we decided to kind of jump in that realm as well. Very natural for us being brewers too. So we made a Tom Collins with the Savage Love. We did a hard iced tea with the Fortunella and we did a gin soda with the Afterglow. Mm. And they're all in cans in market in Alberta right now and at all our brew pubs. And, you know, we've done some limited run batches of other things as well for certain festivals or events or certain communities. And then this year, actually, the focus is on releasing three new gins. We're actually just launched our newest one, which is the June Yuzu Citrus Gin mm. last Friday. And we'll be continuing to release two more, if not three more, by the end of the year. And we call it the Sweetheart Series. And what we do is recognize that we coexist in this brewing and distilling environment at last best. And we've never really effectively shown the two products, how they influence each other. So the Sweetheart Series is how we are doing that. We have gin that's inspired by beer and beer that's inspired by gin. And they're a couple and they're released together. That sounds fun. Okay. So what would you say then is your biggest challenge, you know, as a master distiller? Getting your name out there and breaking into market. I really do think it's a very, very competitive market that has a ton of history. So there's a lot of very large established companies that are in there. So really it's just path to market, I think, and how you get there and how you get your name out there as well. That's the biggest challenges. Absolutely. Okay. We are now at the time for your Jincident story. I did warn you. So do you have a Jincident story for us today? When I'm drinking gin, there's a lot of times, there's very few times I'm drinking gin the whole time. That's so it's more or less of like, you know, gross alcohol consumption. Story. <laughs> <laughs> However, I think the one that I'll go back to is when I was living in Scotland and going to school. So, you know, you'd finish up your classes and then you'd work on all your lab work. And our lab work was sensory of the beers we made or the products we made or, you know, whatever thing we were trying to distill at the time or whatever. And of course, you know, you had to try it. Right. 
And every day when I walked onto Harriet Watts campus, so Harriet Watts campus is right on the edge of Edinburgh. So I was living right in the center part of Edinburgh, like near the castle and everything. And so you'd bus out there. So it's about a 20 minute bus ride. And, you know, I'd go out there, get off the bus and my path always to my classes, you know, went across this bridge, past this pond and always throughout it, there was these swans that, that were there. Right. And there's this one swan in particular that for some reason, I just created this narrative in my head and that I just hate it. Mm. You know, it picked on the other swans, it chased the female swans around or, you know, and so on and so forth. So I had this narrative always in my head. So there was one time I, you know, finished up classes, I was doing lab work, you know, I didn't seem like I was that intoxicated, but you know, maybe I was, but you know, we had a couple beers and then we were kind of getting into a bunch of the gin samples that we we're playing around with. And so, you know, we finished up there. The next thing I remember, you know, was <laughs> lying on the ground in agony, you know, on this wet grass with a broken ankle. What? <laughs> you know, and what had happened was, I guess I, you know, walked out of the lab and then eventually I just like saw this swan and saw red and decided this was the day I was going to go and grab this swan. I don't know what I was going to do with it, but it's kind of a classic story amongst my classmates that, you know, I chased a swan all of a sudden, I don't know if I slipped the wrong way or whatever, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm like 250 pounds. And all of a sudden they just see me just hit the ground right away. And then I couldn't get up. So, you know, my classmates at the time who are like little English hobbits had to like try to lift me up because I couldn't walk and eventually get me to the hospital hospital. So I spent the last probably third or half couple months of my education or my time over there in a half leg cast <laughs> because I decided to try too many experiments one time and chase a swan and then break my ankle and had to eventually finish off my European lifestyle in a half cast. Yes. Well, I'd say the swan won. It's one zero swan. And uh, <laughs> upon my return, eventually I will get back at that swan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else quick that you'd like to share about anything or? I think the best thing to share it's, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, it's it's a wonderful industry to be in and incredibly rewarding and I love every day of it so I encourage anyone who wants to get into it to get into it absolutely totally agree mm-hmm. <laughs> and there you have it everything you ever wanted to know about Bryce and last best brewing and distilling being a master distiller and the path to get there and maybe some really cool advice for yourself if you ever thought this might be a career for you all about their gin products and other products and just so, so, so much more. Thank you, Bryce, for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Heather. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you for listening. Be sure to leave us a review and check out the show notes for links to Last Best Brewing and Distilling and theginshop.ca for all your gin clothing and novelty needs. Until next time, remember, if you walk a mile in my shoes, you'll end up at a gin bar. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. If we've ginspired you, let us know by leaving us a comment and a review, or drop us a note at heather at theginshop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your ginspirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on social media. Until next time, let the party be gin.